This is KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah, and we are now sponsoring a series of discourses, some of them quite historical, from Harav Aaron Lichtenstein, the Rosh Hashiva, Bishiva Taratzion. This week the topic is Das Torah. It'll be delivered in two parts. This week is the first part, and will be continued next week. Issues which have been asked to purchase of this evening is, in one sense, a specific issue. In other sense, it's hard to broader an issue and to be seen, I think, against its background. The broader issue, which I think is in the context of ambience, the more specific matter that has to discuss, uh, has to do with the gut response. Speaking here not of one's theoretical construct, but how one responds and relates almost intuitively and instinctively uh, to authority generally and to halachic or religious authority in particular. There are people, groups, segments of the community to whom Authority as both an abstract concept of human reality is a wholly unmixed blessing. At one plane, then, Bhagu, Sadiq, independently considered as a veritable pillar of the cosmic order and mystical vein, or as ambient society in purely rational terms. The Bhagu, Sadiq, Enhance it and open this world that bring it into contact with levels of wisdom, saintliness, which are otherwise not wholly beyond its purview. And the second plane, that of the individual's relation to the spiritual mentor, the authority of dealing with some is not only accepted and relished, they are required to eat experience. Decisions. At the very least, it's 
authority, both spares the possible agonies of the process of choice and reduces the sense that whatever the consequences, one cannot personally be held liable for them. Beyond that, there are some strange scenes to people of different ilk, even luxurious, and literally problematic contemplation of, the, of their abnegation, abnegation itself, capacity for judgment, and their fulfillment Set aside your will in favor of his. Others, however, are fundamentally far more circumspect than indeed ambiguous. They regard authority again as both concept and reality, both expected and yet the jaundice part. On one hand, they recognize, both as a matter of a priori human necessity, in light of relevant sources, that authority and submission to it is critical. They know they cannot, as to a certain extent, may not make decisions in designated areas. And yet, it's something they accept in a certain sense of practice with a feeling that somehow their own self is being bent submissively when intuitively they prefer to stand their feet tall. They sense that in some way, in some sense, their own inner self has been compromised, their autonomy has been constricted. Lacking a geographic orientation, they generally hold even the dealing to whom they relate as being as it were of theirs, their child, and less awe the former hold their members. But even if the all were there, there would still be some kind of a reluctance about personal philosophic grounds to seek or even accept counsel. So we have, as I've suggested, two very different basic orientations, mindsets, gut feelings and responses with regard to the broader relation to authority. In any way, even in areas where unquestionably it needs to be accepted. This forms, as I mentioned at the outset, a kind of background and context within which a more specific issue needs to be surveyed. And this is the issue of the application of authority as a concept, as a force, to certain areas which do not self-evidently come under the rubric shyness, which need to be decided purely halachic, Mountains, normative terms, a lot of relevant texts, and certain categories. And the question arises as to what kind of areas, kind of problems, concerns, 
personal or communal, are part of that Torah to which Das Torah is to be applied. So we need to grapple with personal definition, what comes within the ambience, thought or decision, some kind of thoughtful statement. This is one question. And secondly, of course, Regardless of which areas it's included, but who are the personages whose dots, whose individually expressed opinion, or whose consensual view, some are regarded as an authoritative das Taylor. So, what are the questions of Taylor? Who are the personages of Taylor? Only we're just ourselves to both of these questions and have decided that a particular issue is, strictly speaking, a table matter, and that certain individuals, or a certain group, certain forum, is authorized to speak in the name of Taylor with respect to Taylor, only then can we develop some kind of concept that does Taylor something which is imperative, that's fundamentally easy. I'm facing ourselves to this question that formed for me is whether Hasta Das Teva is a religious imperative or simply good advice. We need at the outset to bear in mind whether we understand and speak of an imperative. Perhaps also what we understand by good advice, but that'll get later. But, the first time, the question, what do we understand by the I think we need to differentiate in two basic senses in which we use the term and can use the term. One is the thinking of a normative imperative. That person X, Y, or Z says something about a certain area. That must be accepted as a chit. That the Novi, the Torah says, I love Kishmaun, he is house, you have to listen to him. And, in areas of Sak, Allah, strictly speaking, was the Holo, was the Thetis. There, again, we know that Sak needs to be accepted. This is a sense of the Shlom to speak and the same can be said with regard to other areas, personal analogies, establishing priorities, social, political, communal matters. This is an element of the imperative. This is one of the normativeness. But we can say it's imperative to do something not necessarily speaking in normative terms, which means not that it is normatively binding, but that it is necessary, that it is essential, perhaps even that it is critical, if you want to attain a certain end. Now, maybe if you don't want to attain that end, that you can forego. You are not bound to accept it, to do something, to a certain issue. But, say that it's imperative, this 
must be done in the sense that this is an essential means in order to fix it. It's valuable and necessary. And ask yourselves what this concept does, to what extent that which God will to say in regard to certain particularly public issues, what extent must we follow that? That must need to be various understood. Are we queer? Or say that it's essential, it's necessary, it's done if we wish to obey the certain. Let me start first with examining the normative aspect. The same man as the Kut, this is a Vogel of Kishmo, but to accept Sakh as Navodu, or Pasu, etc. Is there such a lucky here as well? And the question here is dual. Is one obligated to seek counsel? And secondly, even if he is not sought it, is he under obligation to accept it when it is appropriate? In certain contexts, of course, we do find that deal with seat of authority of Allah Ta'ala, we find that it is involved in certain areas which narrowly define and certainly political areas. Misha says it's a headline that fellow civil authority wants to go to war and it is not one which is absolutely predicated by certain halachic categories, it's not a strictly defensive response, but it's a mechemet of shoes, which of course is not meant uh, simply some political folly on part of the Melech, but it's a preventive war, perhaps something which, or some justification could be provided, but it is not absolutely thrust upon us by Allah. So, it would seem the covet of shoes. It's not the best Navarro, it's the supreme source of authority. It cannot be any initiative for the covet of shoes. And conceivably, one might extrapolate from the covet of shoes to other forms, other areas of the shoes. Economy of the shoes, our policy of the shoes, social policy of the shoes. But let us recognize that this is a fairly extensive extrapolation. This is two reasons. Number one, we're dealing here, of course, with particularly sensitive and critical areas, it's a question of bloodshed, bloodshed on both sides, the fear and the concern, both Shulayarov, Shulayarek. One cannot readily infer from here to other less critical and also less morally problematic areas. Secondly, the role of Malach here is somewhat, after the best I've ever said, is somewhat similar to that which we have in this country, Abdul, some advice and consent, the right to have some kind of veto in regard to the procedure, but not to initiated, most to serve as a restraining, as an inhibiting factor, and to move from there to assume that since 
leaders to be, generally speaking, the arbiter of uh, civil uh, policy, uh, this is a very far jump and one which we ought not, the basis of this Mishnah alone, make. But let us look beyond the Mishnah, the sources of authority. There's a time being, I look at myself, there's a we have to deal with the issue first with regard to them. If one finds that relation with Esnafonu, the concept does not fully hold, Allah has come with regard to lesser and later authorities, but we find that it does hold, then the question, of course, of what I'm saying successfully needs to be considered. Look at the answer which delineates authority of It's a question as to 
whether a person, a particular litigation, or a particular trial, is innocent or guilty, is won or lost, may nega lo nega, those that are pure and impure, halakhic issues, pure and simple, and the narrowest, strictest sense of the truth. And certainly the presumption is that is confined to issues of this kind. These areas. However, we need to bear in mind a second source as well. Remember the days of yore. Here into consider the year of the various generations. Ask your father and tell you. Explain to you. Your elders and they will tell. Now within the context of the Pausha, of course, one hastens to refer to some general explanation historical development, historiography. Uh, as the term goes on to explain how this Israel has been selected, is placed among the nations, etc., etc. In this context, of course, one cannot think in normative terms. Obligation for a person to go and ask his father, his grandfather, his brother, his generations, you should study history. But the money Shabbos does give a somewhat normative coloring to this possible. Mother asks, not long ago we Hanukkah. Mother asks, we make a Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Hanukkah.
we need, we must do this. So why the Mami Shabbos? According to that Madonna who says in the Mokya Pechon Tzavon, and the this is the Rabbanon, the Shalom Yichon V'yagei Clearly, the Pasuk suggests is to be understood in normative terms. Certainly, when God's a Mechanikah, even according to the second Madonna, a person cannot say, well, Chanikah is good advice. Or to have a good time. Or to uh, have a Mechanikah. So right of this puzzle within which, on one hand, normative aspect, once absolute obligation, seems to be present. And yet within the context of the Pamsha, the puzzle uh, clearly matters other than what we would find in Navarre Alakha matters to be included. One might then conclude, Shalom Listen to what he says as you listen to the Gata Nechanikeh. Even what he's telling you about, not Nechanikeh, but by the Chelo Goyon Goyim, do this, do that, etc. Now, this is not absolutely binding kind of truth, admittedly, because the rest of us somehow the hybrid combination of two aspects. Mother's reference to various Allah on the one end and the occasional Pasha on the other. But it does seem to suggest that when we hear what Avicha Zikhenech have to say, then there is force to what they say, and one can't certainly argue based on this possible that the force is absolutely manageable. Should be emphasized, however, that if this is the Makya, as opposed to Isasu, there are certain significant implications for the degree of normative obligation, even if one assumes that it is. And this is with respect to a very critical matter, which is of great importance in other respects as well, but which has clear implications for our own topic. The function of Lotasu with regard to this passage in the small, the Aramachlekes between Yerushalmi on the one hand and the Sifri which Rashi calls on the other. Yerushalmi says that if they tell you Right that it's right, and left that it's left. But, could you imagine, you think, even if they tell you wrongly, you must submit to authority just because authority has spoken, even when, in terms of your perception, is patently an error? Not only to say, Yamin is small, Yamin is small, Yamin is small. Three of the other hand, which Rashi quotes, says, even if they tell you are small, should you small? At least through your subjective perception, it seems that they totally reverse things at the most fundamental level. Nevertheless, the principle is that there is an authority, its voice needs to be needed. It has absolutely mandatory power. And that's set aside whatever your own perceptions. The contradiction between the two 
that discussing its own rights. And the implications for the balance between authority and individual judgment, a critical matter in any respect, uh, certainly the implications are clear. But I don't address myself to that right now. What I do want to emphasize is that this is in the Pansha of Lotusu. There, this element does not come. So we're one to contend that the notion of the Astoyla is grounded in the Hossein on the theory that the requirement to listen to that which the faith has to tell you, as the Lord tells you, maybe, but hey, this applies to the Hossein, regardless of which the Vagan is, whether they dumb the dumb, or between one social policy and another, if we were to face Kasla Daster of Isoso, then it would apply, and again, for the moment, Kapani says the best of it would apply even when one is thoroughly convinced, according to his own lights, that they're absolutely categorically here. If it's only Shalom Echel, you get to the Skirech and Then we're told to pay a heedful ear. Listen, the council accepted that may very well be limited to situations in which you don't have cause to think that what you're being told is thoroughly an error. But you don't know one way or the other, you don't have the capacity for judgment, you have no, maybe you have an inclination in a certain direction, but not conviction. Should there be conviction? Then, that possible, at any rate, does not impose the standard of submission to authority which emerges in the possible of Lysos. You have been listening to the first part of a discourse by Rav Lichtenstein on Das Torah. The second part and concluding part of this discourse will be broadcast next week.